3: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Good. So yesterday, Lance marked 15 years missing for Brianna Maitland, and that was March 19th, 2019. And so in this interview today, Lance, I guess it's really more of a conversation that we have with two private investigators on this case, Lou Barry and Greg Overacker. They've both been in studio before separately, but now we have them here together in an episode that is nothing less than kind of eye-opening.
0: It's really cool to watch the dynamic between the two because you have Greg Overacker, who is a licensed private investigator. He's also a bounty hunter, which uh, his history is amazing if you' ever we we've had a chance to speak to him aside from the topic of brianna and he's he's so experienced in just the world that a lot of us don't even think about there's this sort of underbelly that greg overacker greg overacker is is a part of and and he and he tries his best to implement justice when he sees fit and then you compare that to Lou and Lou's been in law enforcement for over thirty years he's been. The amongst the highest ranks of police officers and they have come together. Greg, with his experience of 14 years on Brianna's case and Lou's experience of two or three years. Very, very fascinating to watch these two who want the same goal. They have different paths that got them there.
3: It's very cool to watch those two come together and, and interact. Agree. It's kind of a dream team. And this is probably a good time to mention PIs for the Missing, Lance. And last week I got the URL wrong. How it's dare actually, you? I know, right? It's actually investigationsforthemissing.org. And uh, can you please tell us about it?
0: Investigationsforthemissing.org is a foundation, a nonprofit organization that was founded by Brianna's father, Bruce Maitland. And Bruce wanted to give back. He wanted to provide a service to the community That didn't directly involve his daughter, but he wanted it to be because of his experience with his daughter and the investigation into her disappearance. So what it does is provides the resources and the funds to hire somebody like Greg Overacker to investigate an unsolved uh, cold case, whether it's a, a disappearance or... An unsolved murder or, or any anything that a family would need when the resources of law enforcement have run out and they need to hire somebody who's private and that is incredibly expensive. There's a GoFundMe link on the page at investigationsforthemissing.org. Give as much as you can. Every little bit helps, and we're making a bigger push to get more um, official-type grants. You and I are on the board. There's also other members of the board. Uh, shout out to Michelle for helping out with uh, a lot of the, the legalities and, I guess, just being a really good spokesperson for it yeah. and, and reaching out to many organizations and helping us interact with family
3: members who have who have asked for the services. So check out org and Bruce is trying to bring the operation to CrimeCon in June in New Orleans, Lance. And maybe he'll have a booth down there and you can talk to Bruce in person about this organization. And if he is down there, we are going to have him on a panel, Crawl Space Live show, Lance, right down there in New Orleans.
0: When we brought up CrimeCon to Bruce, he was a little hesitant at first because he's a pretty private man. He does want all the information out there as far as Brianna's disappearance and as far as getting the word out there for investigations for The Missing. But he doesn't like being in the spotlight. So at first he was thinking CrimeCon. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. But when we started talking to him about it and he looked into CrimeCon, this is the exact people, the people who go to CrimeCon, you listeners out there who go to CrimeCon, you are the people that Bruce wants to talk to when it comes to investigations for The Missing. You are passionate enough about this to go to New Orleans or to go to Indianapolis or to go to Nashville. Like, if this is your third one, you will love what Bruce is doing with investigations for the missing.
3: Yeah, so join us down there at CrimeCon in New Orleans and use code Crawlspace19 when you check out on CrimeCon's site. You'll get 10% off your standard registration badge. Perfect.
0: And we're traveling a lot in the upcoming weeks. It's going to be a busy spring and summer.
3: Seriously, we're going uh, in April to the American Investigative Society of Cold Cases, which is called ASOC, and on April 15th and 16th, this conference is happening at the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York. And we are speaking on April 16th at 9.20 a.m., a bit early in the morning for me, but uh, we'll be fine. We'll be caffeinated Especially on up. day two. <laughs> but we'll be speaking with Mike Morford and John Lorden. And
0: Lance. I fully expect that conversation to not only be insightful and fascinating and something that you can take a lot from in regards to what we do as true crime podcasters, but also the relationship between the family, the media and law enforcement in the true crime community there might even be a big break that Mike Morford and John Lorden will be talking about with uh, one of their cases that we covered on Crawl Space as well.
3: Well, actually... Oh, now that you mention it. <laughs> now that you mentioned it, Lance, uh, this past weekend there was some news in the case that we covered with those guys called Double Murder in Ozark. It was the murder of J.B. Beasley and Tracy Hollitt, and they arrested someone named Coley McCraney in this double murder, and he's been charged with five counts of capital murder, Lance. So
0: once again, Mike Morford comes out of the shadows. He's, he's nabs him. A nabs good the perch. Yeah, he really is. He's
3: becoming a podcast folk hero. And apparently, Lance, what happened was him and his team, John Lorden and Gray Hughes, they contacted Parabon who uh, about this case, about this double murder, in, in the hopes of trying to acquire some DNA so they could move this forward. Well, Parabon. Contacted the Ozark police and they made this connection of DNA and it together came together to make an arrest, Lance. So amazing. I, they, they had barely started their podcast and this case is solved. So Parabon is a company that
0: engineers DNA, correct?
3: something yeah they're involved in dna and forensic testing and they were able to reach out and uh sort of bring this case home together lance pretty impressive work by the boys the three men and a mystery and uh again the, it's so strange cuz the podcast had barely started so the the police department in Ozark they somehow got wind that this media uh attention was going to be renewed on their case and they got to work and solved this case.
0: Well, excellent work by the team over there at Three Men in a Mystery, excellent work at Parabon, and excellent work by the police force for accepting this information. And it is really the prime example of what to do when you've put yourself in the position that we've put ourselves in and Mike Morford, Gray Hughes, and John Lorden have put themselves in the position. They knew the right thing to do. They did it the responsible way, and look what's happened.
3: Yeah, so uh, that, that conference with them, that that panel with Mike Morford and John Lorden is going to be extra interesting now. So get your tickets at ASOC.com. That's A-I-S-O-C-C dot com. And I just want to thank the sponsors for making this show possible. Who do we have here? We have Cavo, The Real Real, and Madison Reed. So thanks a lot. We really appreciate your sponsorship and listeners at home. Check them out. They're great companies. And Lance, last week, last Wednesday, we were a part of this Science Cafe Forensic Panel up in Nashua, New Hampshire at the Riverwalk Cafe, and what a time we had. Yeah, I learned so much, and it was really humbling
0: to be sitting there with... Law enforcement, FBI, digital forensic experts, and the audience was just amazing. The questions from the audience were questions that I think you and I both had for these people as well, and they did their best to work us into it. We were sort of the media end of it, and we were a little bit intimidated, I think, just being (laughs) amongst that that group of people there.
3: Yeah, but— It was a great night, and uh, we'd love to attend more of those. So shout out to uh, Steve, the owner, and uh, Scott and Sandra for putting it together. That was really great to, uh, to invite us, and we got to chat with them a little bit after, and that was really cool.
0: And shout out to all the people that attended. Hope you all had a good time. By the way, the food at that place is very, very good, and the drinks are very tasty, and the employees are just wonderful.
3: And shout-out to George, who we met, who was a big uh, Crawl Space fan. George was great to talk to uh, during the panel and afterwards. And uh, afterwards, he was like, Tim, I think you, uh, you smell like weed a little bit. And I uh, I was like, George, we talked before the show. I, I, If I smelled like weed, I would have hoped you told me before I sat next to three law enforcement officers. <laughs> um, but actually, I think that was the musicians who walked in for open mic right after us. And they were sitting right near where we were talking.
0: Probably was just a coincidence then.
3: And a shout-out to the bearded
0: guy who, I'm so sorry, I can't remember your name, but you and your girlfriend said you loved our ad. So shout-out to you, too. You were there as well, and uh, great questions that came from uh, you guys as well.
3: Okay, so check out this episode. Enjoy it, please. We have Lou Barry and Greg Overacker here, and uh, subscribe to this show on Stitcher. And, of course, uh, you can get our entire ad-free catalog on Stitcher Premium at StitcherPremium.com and use code CRAWLSPACE for a free month. Oh, and let me just tell you, the second half of this interview, this conversation, Lance, with Lou and Greg, is going to be available exclusively on YouTube, our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash CRAWLSPACE. We're literally all over the place. We really are. And so check us out on Twitter, CRAWLSPACE POD. We're on Instagram and Facebook at CRAWLSPACE PODCAST. Thank you very much. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim. We are here today with Lance, as always, but uh, in the Crawl Space studios with private investigators and friends, Greg Overacker and Lou Barry. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, great. It's good to have
0: you guys in the studio. Um, we're really reaching capacity here in our ten by ten box, but <laughs> we we appreciate it because we want to talk about Brianna a little bit more and having you two together discussing any new developments or going over the questions that uh, that Chloe actually assembled for us from from people in the public who really have these questions that we need to they want they want addressed.
3: Yeah, shout out to Chloe. Thanks, uh, Big thanks to her for putting together these uh, questions in this document. And uh, the listeners out there responded. So if you don't mind, we'll just get right into it.
0: I just want to ask them real quick, for my personal curiosity and for the listeners' uh, sake, how long have each one of you respectively been working on Brianna's case?
2: Since 06.
1: Yeah, I've been on
0: about two and a half years now. Okay, cool. Since 06. Yeah. I didn't realize it was more than 10 years for you. Yeah. Damn.
3: Okay. Okay, so first question here we got from the listeners, from Brenna. She says, is there any possibility this was a random act, or are we confident Bree disappeared as a result of someone known to her? And if so, are the police and family certain they know who it was?
2: You know that your feelings about that kind of ebb and sway as you get more information and as time goes on and you discuss it more with different people and... Um because we heard rumors and 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 chased those down in the the local the talk amongst locals, it always went back to zero. Or it always seemed to go back to zero. You know, if you're familiar with the story, you know that there was mentions of overdosing at a party and things like that. And it, no one could ever tell us the party, where it was at, who was there, and but they'd say I heard it from so and so and you go to that person, they'd say I heard it from so and so and you go to that person, and it goes back to zero. So the talk would be uh, amongst Bruce and I and amongst Lou and I was that uh, we wondered if we would ever come up with someone who was totally off the the grid. And oddly enough, Lou got a tip recently pertaining to someone that we had never heard of before.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I think that shows the importance of keeping this um, active um, and Chloe running her her blog and and you guys doing a podcast and the web pages and all keeps the interest up in this is just last um summer um we got a brand new suspect totally off the radar um as it you know time went by it developed into something that looks pretty viable. it's been turned over to, to the state police they're working on it how far it'll go, I don't know, but um you know at least people are still interested in in still. There's still information out there. It shows that, you know, there's still information out there.
2: It's amazing that a guy that interesting would be there among the locals, and we had never heard of it. Yeah. uh, Interesting guy, to say the least, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question he's a viable suspect. Whether or not he's involved remains to be seen, but um, it's certainly uh, enough there that that he should be taking a close look at. Uh, But interestingly, I mean, back to her question, I guess, um... We have no idea. It could be, you, you just don't know until you solve it. You don't know. Anything is possible. And they're following up on that.
2: They're currently following yeah, up on that, in Vermont. As we speak. State police. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: And this wasn't somebody who was a local? This he, new he, he, was, he was,
2: but he was a transplant, correct? He he had lived in Burlington. He had, he had moved he to moved Florida. He moved around a lot. Yeah. yeah, he'd come back up into the area, and then he'd lived in that area right close by and was there during that time frame.
3: you have a history of violent crime?
1: Um yeah, without getting into too much uh um, okay. th- there's enough there that I, I think shows that he should be looked at. Yeah. And is being looked at. So. Great. Wow. Okay.
0: You you said uh Greg that you got leads and they always go back to zero. Are you just saying that most of the leads that you followed up with go back to nothing? They well, just don't lead anywhere?
2: Those those rumors, you know what I mean? The rumor mill. Mm-hmm. And and that was huge, you know, when I came in oh six. And, and, you know, we talked about this when I sat down with the Maitlands. It was just a huge amount of information to soak up. Your head's spinning by the time you're done. Kelly literally had boxes and boxes of of information. And so you start chasing down these stories. Of course, the big one was the overdosing at a party that we heard. So you start going from person to person to person to try to chase that down to zero, and you just can't. You know, it ends, and it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm and you just feel like you're constantly on that tread uh, that yeah, treadmill. But that's come up with a lot of the different stories. No one can get it back to zero. Today.
1: Right. It's uh, just the amount of information is incredible that Greg developed long before I got involved and when I first sat down with Greg my uh, my head was spinning because trying to keep track of this one and that one and you know i think i have a list of like 120 names of people that are involved either by giving information or something and i gave up because it was just getting too massive and i
2: was so happy to have you on board but i'm like
1: okay here we go (laughs)
2: this is gonna take a week or two you know
1: i think it took six months for me to actually get in my mind who was who yeah and um the big cast of characters yeah the cast of characters know how they had um what their involvement was. The odd thing is when we talked
2: about liar people lying to whether they do it purposely or not, or they're just mistaken, that's just can drain you. I mean, it, and we can't figure it out why people would say the things that they say. I mean, one person will literally say something horrible about another person. You go back to that person and say, I don't know what you're talking about. And honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. You go back to that person, they change their story, and it just gets really difficult.
0: There's a... Comment here, question here from Caitlin. I want to know about the DNA found in the car. Was it blood or a different bodily fluid? Do we know if it has been tested? I know the police said they found DNA. Not sure if the PIs would have any info on this.
1: Well, the Vermont State Police came out and said they found DNA in the car. And if you look at some of the pictures, you can see where swaths of of, uh, upholstery have been taken off. So, assumably, that's where the DNA is. They've, to my knowledge, never publicly said, is it blood, is it some other bodily fluid. Um, And to be honest with you, the fact that there's DNA in a car may or may not mean anything. I mean, everywhere you go, you leave DNA. Um, Now, certainly, DNA can be valuable, particularly if it's found on a body or at a murder scene. But when you have a vehicle, uh, who knows how many people have been in and out of that vehicle, the presence of their DNA may or may not need anything. So um as far as I know, they said they have it. Um that's I think all that the that's public knows. And
0: I think it's safe to say though that uh it's not DNA taken from a massive amount of like say blood that's no, stained the no. back seat.
3: So it it's not DNA that we know is the person that uh took her or whatever, or we don't know?
1: We don't know. And yeah. and the fact of the matter is it it may or may not mean anything. If if yeah. it were to belong to someone she was acquainted with that would have a legitimate reason for being in the vehicle, yep. it would basically be um, not very important. If it belongs to someone who um, claims that they have no knowledge of her and they've never been in her car, well, then it could be extremely important. Right. So uh, I guess until you know who it belongs to, um, the relative value of that is is unknown.
3: Okay. Here's a question from Matthew. He says, "I'm wondering if you guys have personally talked to Street and Low, who, which are, of course, uh, sort of code names, I guess, for uh, the street names. Yeah, for yeah. Ramon Ryan's and Nathaniel Jackson.
2: Yeah, no, I I wanted to, I was told not to every time I kind of approached it, and it for different reasons at different
0: times. Who, um, who told you not to?
2: Bruce through the police, not to, not to touch it." Um, for different reasons, you know. Back in the beginning, they were still being talked to. Ryan's was pulled in at one point and given a polygraph, and we kind of just, you know, and we get what they give us. A
0: polygraph specifically about Brianna?
2: Um, I believe so. Yeah, and you know, we're told it's inconclusive because we're not given. You know, it's not a two-way street. We share. We give them everything. They give us what they want to give us. So, And that's kind of the way it works. You just kind of do what you can do with that. But, um, yeah, different times for different reasons that we were told not to. And Jackson was in prison for eight years. I think it was eight years, something like that, for cocaine trafficking. He got picked up down south. I think he just got out recently. Was August
1: here? of 17. Yeah. Um. Actually, I, I had a brief conversation with, um. well, I don't think I ever told you this either. No. Um
0: breaking news not yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: not real valuable conversation um I what his response to my question probably shouldn't go on the air so
0: what was your question
1: um i I don't remember the exact words something to do with uh, Vermont
2: did it sound like a phone
1: hanging out no no, no it, was a, it, was, it was an online conversation
0: oh, oh. Uh, okay so you communicated with him online and you said that it was uh it was low yeah okay um, and which one is low? Low is uh, Jackson. No, excuse
1: me. I, I take it back. It was uh, Ramon. You know
2: they they were impli. A lot of people go crazy with that for a couple of reasons, and maybe rightfully so. When Hank Alborelli wrote the the couple of articles there, which were great articles and really informative, and that's how that whole story led down to Ryan's being in Burlington and, and Ellen Ducharme killing Ligia Collins and all that stuff. Um, so that got people kind of fixated on those guys. And then when the the show came out, yeah, the disappeared episode. Yeah, they concentrated on that for whatever reason. I, I, I mean, it was a good show and it was informative and everything, but they didn't kind of leave that out. It was it was they didn't leave that out as kind of an op. Other options, they kind of put that in, focused on it. Yeah. So people kind of focus in on them, but you know, there's nothing directly to relate them. Of course, you know, the the, the kids there will tell you. Just, just to give you a lot of information about them and stuff. So they they, they should obviously be looked at.
1: Well, they make the class a suspect. They're not from around there. They're different. They're from a different culture. They're involved in drug trafficking, among other things. So, you know, they're a natural um, suspect, I guess. To, yeah, they went and
2: camped out in that area specifically just to sell drugs. There's no other reason. They don't have any family there. They don't have friends there. They went up to a place where there's uh, little police enforcement, you know, there's no, there's no police forces. That's all state trooper area. State, right? deputy yeah. sheriffs. It's very thin, yeah. very sparse. And you're talking
0: so about the town of Montgomery? You know, that, that whole, whole area? area. The whole area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: There's, there's just not a police force there. I mean, in state police, I mean, I've at times I've driven from the bottom of Vermont all the way up to the Canadian border and back. I, I saw two cops on the road, one a, one a trooper and one a, a town cop in Rutland on my trip. So, I mean, there, there's just not a huge police presence. So they went up there and, and were dealing, of course, in it, Burlington was a hub on the way. And uh, when when this all came to be, Ryan's moved back to Burlington and set up shop. And that's when he reported Legia missing. Um, I don't know if that's just bad luck or uh, the line of work he's in, but here he's, you know, around Brianna that goes missing, and then he goes down into Burlington, and his girlfriend gets murdered, and he reports her missing. Of course, he had nothing to do with that, but she was selling cocaine for him. Mm-hmm. She goes out to deliver cocaine and, and gets killed. And he reports are missing. but.
0: What did you mean when you said, when you talked to the kids up there, that they'll all tell
3: you Bree's friends? Is yeah, they'll,
2: they will they they don't have anything nice to say knew, about those guys.
3: Are
0: you, you're talking about Brianna's friends?
2: Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Yeah, anybody up there that was, you know, all the kids got mixed up in doing drugs up there. It was, a, it was just a plague at the time, a crack explosion at the time. And we talked about this on the drive out. It just, it ruined a bunch of kids. But they'll all tell you stories about them because they knew them. They were around, and they weren't hard to pick out, you know, and not to sound racist or anything, but they were the only two black guys. Obvious who they were. You know, you could pick them out. Um, they weren't from there, and uh, so they knew them.
3: So uh, some of this question goes on and asks about a possible drug debt that Brianna had, and I know that's kind of like a uh, an old rumor and just curious about that. And I guess this question kind of gets specifically to asking Lou, but keep it open to Greg too, is talking about like, is, is a drug more to blame? Like for example, pot versus cocaine. If she owed a debt for pot, like, uh, is she going to get involved with anything violent as opposed to a different drug? And does that even make sense anyway?
1: Well, it, it it doesn't really. I, I think, um, no matter <clears throat> excuse me, what drug she was have to, or anyone happened to be using, um, and particularly her, she she's not going to bring up enough of a drug debt to warrant getting killed for. Um, I mean, realistically, if someone owes you drug money, the last thing you want to do is kill them because you're never going to collect. Uh, and if you do you kill them, it's going to be public enough that word gets out so that they, other people know, don't mess with this guy, they're going to pay their, are you going to You know, pay your debt so you're going to get hurt. So in this particular case, uh, it doesn't make sense at all that she would be – someone would kill her for a drug debt. I I can't believe at her age and her lifestyle she's used enough drugs to owe enough people enough money to to make that worthwhile. Now, I will say this, though. uh, Given the history of some of the people involved um, that were rumored to be or known to be uh, trafficking in in females potentially – that's an option. That perhaps, if there was some money owed, they saw this girl. She's um, very susceptible to um, because of her lifestyle, um, you know, not living at home and things like that. Um, susceptible to maybe being taken advantage of in her personal involvement with them. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah a that's kind of a combination yeah. there. Yeah, and and from there, who knows? I mean, she could have, as the rumor goes, had a dr- accidental drug overdose. She could have resisted, and you know, uh, inadvertently something happened to her. Uh, I think you can speculate forever on what, what could have happened. But that, I think, is a much more realistic possibility than someone did her in because she owed them drug money.
0: The beginning part of this question from Jen, uh, she wants to understand if either or both believe whomever was involved in Brianna's disappearance was not a patron that night at the inn and how they came to that conclusion. And what stood out to me here was that in parentheses she says, we want to learn critical thinking from the experts.
1: I'm no expert. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, I, you know, we, we talked about this when a new suspect came up. All along, we've been looking at it from the perspective of um, uh, someone she was acquainted with, and, and that's obviously still a possibility. But um, she had just started working there. This was like her second week. And um, she the note that she left that day for Jillian, Uh, indicated she had no idea what time she was getting out of work. Anywhere from 10 to midnight. Now, I've talked to the owner, the former owner of the Black Lantern, and he said that, that the dishwashers, that's what she did, had no set schedule as far as when they left work because it depends how busy they were. So she could have gone anywhere from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. So for someone... So she didn't even know her schedule. Now, very few of her friends that we're aware of knew she was even working there because she was on the outs because of that whole incident with um, Keeley and the whole fight over the boyfriend and all that uh, with her – her um, the group that she had been associating with. So her circle of friends at this point was fairly limited. So how many of those people knew she was working that night and getting out at that hour is a small group? Which leads you back to the Black Lantern because a customer would have known that she was working and maybe roughly what time they got out. So it almost tends to bring um, focus back towards the Lantern and away from her friends in St. Albans and Enosburg and all of that. But that's, again, speculation. But um, now at one time we were told or in fact we have been told that this new suspect did frequent the Black Lantern. How much and when it, it, we don't know? There was actually a,
2: a guy who was there that night who he was staying at the inn, and he was up there for I don't know, it was a ski trip or something, but he was vacationing alone, and I interviewed him, and the state police interviewed him, and it was a very odd thing. I just I don't know anybody that vacations alone. He just said he couldn't get some friends to go with him, so he ended up going by himself. He'd gone up there, you know, a dozen times before. Um, but the state police feel confident that he's not involved. And we've got all the phone records from the inn, and they've been traced. So that led nowhere. And she didn't have a cell phone that night, well that we know of.
1: Well, Bruce I was told she, she did not have one, and there's no cell service anyways. So it doesn't kind of... Uh, Kind of matter, but um, so in it, so it's possible. I don't think it was any patron that was there that night because the owner's wife saw her get in the car and leave. I think she would have seen anyone leaving after her, so
0: getting into her own car and leaving.
1: Brianna, yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Um, she saw her leave the parking lot, and I'm sure had someone driven out right after her, she would have, you know, would have mentioned that. And there was so,
2: always those thoughts of somebody was in
1: the back seat and stuff
2: like that. You get into those. You get into those. You know, and you always look at the, all the possibilities. But if you look at a possibility like that, can it happen? Yeah. But if somebody's going to abduct somebody and, and, and she's tearing down the road at fifty miles an hour, he's going to pack it from the. Pop up from the back seat and attack, her it's kind of you don't have oh, very that's much. That's what happens contr- in movies. Yeah, yeah that's but, You don't have very much control over anything was, when they right. happens. You're not going to back into a house. Yeah, and and, and then what's he going to do with her? It's right. cold and it's dark, and he has and no it, car. And, yeah, and he's going to walk her somewhere. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it does. It, does it would have
2: to mean. involve a, a third party that would follow along afterwards and, and, you know, it, it gets involved. And it, there we go with Occam's razor again. It's, you know,
0: it's, you're, you're just complicated to yeah. Cho-
2: choose the simplest, you know, normally it's the simplest solution and, and that's just not one of them. Yeah. But that was one that came up all the time. People would say, well, somebody was in our back seat.
0: I'm curious about the phone records. You said that you uh, checked out the phone records of the black lantern.
2: I traced all that I could.
0: How long after the disappearance did you look at their phone records?
2: Bruce gave them to me when I came in in 06, in 06, and I traced what I could.
0: So just a couple of years.
2: And um, I believe the police had already had them, and the ones that I couldn't trace, they did.
0: And nothing was led? And this was from like a work phone? From...
2: Average local folks. It was the business landline.
1: Okay. And you, know, you would think if a dishwasher got a phone call... That night, someone would have said.
2: Someone would have known. Yeah, there, there, there wasn't call. many calls. Absolutely. I mean, there was, yep. you know, I'm just going to guess because I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's in that booklet I gave you on the way out, Lou. But uh, it was like, you know, 18 calls or something, and there were people calling for reservations and stuff yep. like that. Yep. At least uh, the, the ones that I didn't, I don't know, the ones that the police traced, they didn't give me that information. Again, not a two way street. You know, they don't give us information, right? But, uh, or not much anyway. They give us information when they don't want us to talk about something. <laughs> That's the information. Don't talk about this or that.
3: How about this one from Amanda? To what extent is this a case of the police know who is responsible but don't have the evidence to no. bring it to the DA? They don't.
1: They don't. No, they don't. They, <clears throat> this is actively being investigated. If they knew for certain who did it, their focus would be entirely on that, and it's not, as far as I know. Again, we don't have privy to what they know. We're not privy to that, but... Um, I can't believe that's the case.
2: There's something to be said, and they'll di- they'll disagree with us, and they may even deny it, but a lot of what they have came from us.
1: And I think Mr. Mr. Maitland is in very close contact with them, and I I can't believe that they would have a strong suspect and not have told him, hey, look, this is
0: you know where we're looking. Right, and, not specifically who, but, but at least, like, here's so, some hope for you as yes, a suspect. Exactly. Often yeah.
2: what they'll do, too, is when they finish something, They'll wait till they. Even if it takes months and months, when they finish it, they'll call him and, and, and this is what we give take, him all the information. They won't tell him what it's going on because they're working it. And they don't want to. I don't think they want us to know.
1: Well, it's <laughs> it's you know understandable. They, yeah. they they're doing a criminal investigation, and um, we're not police officers, so. um you know, even though our loyalty is Mr. Maitland, and theirs is, is to the uh, people in Vermont.
3: And they don't want
2: anything so. leaking out and backboring sure. them, you know.
3: Yeah. Uh, here's one from Melissa. Did they ever find out what caused the fire? I take it she means the Dutch burn? The Dutch burn home. Yeah. I think
2: there was, it was just some, some kids, some right? Some kids
1: said it. Yeah. That, okay. yeah. And they were, they were caught.
3: Unrelated. Yeah, yeah. They were was... just
2: burning down an old building. You know, over the time, you get different information, and you realize you said something wrong, or... Your feelings about something change because you get more information. So it's constantly changing. We talked about the Dutchburn home. And I remember I had told you the two brothers that lived there, the guys came and did a home invasion mm-hmm. and that they had gone into a nursing home. And it was really sad and they had never come home. That's not true. They moved I, back. In. They moved back oh, into really? the house. Wow. Yeah, they did. And and they were uh, – both of them did, correct?
1: I believe so. I don't know for how long because I know they were out there. They wouldn't answer knock at the door.
2: There's actually a, a article, a well-written article that you and that might be in that packet too, that you can find online about it. Um, and they were just kind of you know, didn't live. It's like the, the, the story of people who live with their doors unlocked all the time and they something traumatic happens and now they're shuttering all their doors and they won't answer the door and stuff like that. That was kind of the effect. And, and I thought it odd that Everybody knew that these guys carried cash, Yeah, you know, in their overalls. They had wads of cash. Yep. You know, the farmers, it's, it's, you don't trust the banks kind of thing, you know. So when the guys that, that robbed them went to spend the money, it smelled. It smelled like the barn. It smelled like the barn. That's how they, that's literally how they caught them. Everybody and then you know, it's such a small area and everybody knows everybody that everybody knew what had happened. And this guy came into like I was at a hardware store or something, and he was going to buy something lumber like, yard or something. Yeah, yeah and, the, and the money smelled like manure, and they're like, ah, oh,
0: that's how they caught it. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm pretty well, sure that's know, the way it it's, worked. When
1: you think about it, you think about the state of Vermont, and in this one spot, you have these two tragedies that happen years apart yeah. in the exact spot. I mean, what a crazy, crazy coincidence! And then
0: you could you can add the the fire as like the final sort of tragedy. Because now it's not there. You can't go.
1: It's been torn down. Yeah. Even the foundation's
0: gone now. Yeah. You there's know. no, that's so creepy to think of. There's no evidence of it's any. The,
2: the law of truly large numbers. Say that again? The law of truly large numbers. That odd things will happen that you can't predict. Yeah. It, really odd things. You can only see them in hindsight. But yeah, there's especially something that tragic.
3: Speaking of that, residents. Um- this is a good question. Yeah, where is the nearest residence besides that, uh, the Dutchburn house? Um, where is the nearest residence to the crash site? And is it close enough for someone to have heard the car hit the house and perhaps seen a glimpse of what unfolded?
0: Because I think, not to interrupt, I, I think that a lot of people out there will look at the picture of the car backed into the house. Yeah. But you don't get a look at the surrounding area.
2: I actually have photos that, you can, that actually shows the Dutchburn home uh, at a distance. That's in that package.
1: 591 feet, to answer the question.
2: <laughs> Is that the exact answer? Yeah. Really?
3: To the next house, the next 590. House. So that's like... Almost two football fields. Two football fields. You, you measured yeah. it to the foot? 593
2: online, feet? Online, yeah. Oh, online. <laughs> I thought he was out there with one of those little things they do with car accidents. Um, yeah, yeah, you know? A little ticker. So it's, yeah.
1: it's, pretty, it's pretty distant yeah. when you think about it. And then the next two are like... Oh, six hundred yards away, five hundred yards away. So there's. Um, Bruce said that one person did say they had heard a noise. They, they, but they thought didn't know they what heard it was a and scream, and, and yeah, yeah. just went back to bed. I mean, up there you hear animals all the time. Yeah, I think. it's wintertime; the windows are all shut.
2: Um, you know, when you think about Mora's situation and Brianna's situation too, at, at at that hour of the night, if if there's no moonlight, you can't see your hand in front okay. of your face. You no lights up there. Yeah, you know it's dark.
0: And just to be clear, there was nobody living in the Dutch Burn when she hit it? No, it was vacant no, building. It was boarded
2: up. had been boarded for years.
0: It. Okay. Okay. it had
1: been for quite some time. Yeah, And that, that's why there's always a lot of rumors going around. that Oh, it was a party spot for the kids. And, and that's one of the first questions we asked our friends. You guys go to a to party? It was like, no, we, why do we go there? It's like right on the road. Yeah. It's, it's crazy.
2: You know, you know? if a, if a, if you were... <laughs> took this shack up as a place to party and the cops pulled up, there'd be nowhere to go. It's all open field around it, you know? And they see the cars parked there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally the road whizzes right past. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we just – I know I lose sight of the fact that we get so caught up in this that there could be people listening thinking, well, who was home at the time? The the
2: pictures are deceiving, too. Pictures
0: are deceiving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first read this years and years and years ago – uh, in your mind, you picture it, and I had pictured her back off the road, down maybe a little lane where no one could see the car type yeah. thing. And then when I actually saw her, wow. It's is, it's know.
2: literally almost like it's on display, the way the road kind of curves around. Yeah. There's right, nothing else. Yeah. It's
1: just right in the middle of the – the,
2: That's, that's – to me, it, it made sense that – of course, I'm not from there, and I may have a different point of view if I was from there, but it literally seemed like this would be a good meeting spot. If you're on your way home, somebody – well, just meet me there. i got to give you something or something, or I want to talk to you. Boom, you'd pull in there. And the people that lived there, you know, you, you could just, if you are coming the other way where, the way Brianna was, you would just cross over traffic and pull off on this even grade.
1: There's a pull-off, in fact. Yeah. There's a little. Yeah.
2: little. It almost looks as though she came over and she crossed the oncoming traffic and just pulled along the side of the road. And if somebody was coming the other way to meet her, they would have been bumper to bumper, you know, facing each other. And that's what I thought because if she had to leave, she's got to go in reverse to get out of there and she would hit that building. I, being a more experienced driver, would put my ass into my car up on the road, you know. But she's not going to do that. She's going to do a three-pointer. But it's it's still, it's still weird.
1: Bruce says that um, when he was at the scene, of course, the scene had been contaminated obviously with traffic and everything, but that he could see tire marks in the field. You know how you don't you see like the grass is kind of matted, um, leading about a hundred feet past the Dutchburn house, right up to where her car was, so it would indicate that in her car, there's a curve there, and when you turn your wheel, obviously you turn the curve, your wheels are going to turn, and if he had, she had stopped suddenly, and then thrown it in reverse, her wheels are still cocked; she's going to go directly back into that house.
2: That's that's always what I thought that she. Yeah. When, when she, I thought if she met someone there like that and they're bumper to bumper and she's either behind the wheel or when we were kids and we would go out and have beers on the, in the country roads or something, we would get out, leave the window down, crank up the radio in the heat, go out and sit outside the car for a while and talk. If we got cold, we'd jump back in the car or whatever. So if she was meeting someone and she, a confrontation started outside the vehicle or if she was already in the vehicle and she's got to get out of there, there's only one way to take that big boat of a car. I mean, that car was huge. She has got to go back, and if she went back, she'd do that three-point turn, and she'd hit that building. And if you look at the pictures that are from the front, of the, looking at the front of the vehicle, her wheels are turned hard, real hard. I mean, she's trying to whatever hit it was turned trying really hard to make
1: it turn and get out of there. The um, and the, other, the thing is though, if she was beating someone, it, there's a pull-off in front yeah, of the house. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Hard gravel. That, that's where they would have parked. They wouldn't have driven up into the field. That's I what mean. always
2: threw me. Kind of yeah. threw my
1: my. I think she backed either. up trying to get away from something yeah. or someone.
3: Yeah. So just to clarify, so Bruce said that he saw tire tracks in the grass, um, and that would have been potentially from Brianna backing up for about 100 feet, was it? I I, I think
1: it was about 100 feet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see... I mean, he showed me the spot um, on the map where where it looked like you know it was. Just, I yeah. guess a hundred feet, maybe not that far. So out.
2: I mean, if you if you can if you buy into that theory that someone was in the back seat and she pulls off the road there and she puts it into reverse, I mean, I'm not going to get into that. But that, those he thought they were her tracks, though not 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 a car that met her.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, and I've talked about this look, dozens of times. And I don't. I I don't. Yeah. I'm not still not clear on it. But well, I think it's still speculation. Yeah. Yeah. But that's. That's what I got out of it. And when, when like I said, with the way her wheels would have had to been turned to maneuver the corner or the curve, if they were still turned that way and you just all of a sudden throw it in reverse and don't straighten your wheels up, you, you're going to back up right into that house.
2: Yeah, you know? and then the car sits with the wheel turning real hard. I was always curious what gear the car was in. Of course, you're never going to know because they towed it away. It, it seems you're the thirty five year veteran cop. It seems really bizarro to me that a cop would pull up see the car backed in this building It's a clip off the road. That's where the pictures get deceiving. It's a ways off the road. Yeah. It's pretty furiously backed into it and hung up on the on the hung up foundation, on the foundation and there's water bottle and stuff like that, and supposedly change and stuff like that uh, a broken necklace on the uh, on the ground and stuff and he goes, huh, all right, towed away i I would think this is odd a drunk driver. Drunk driver would go off the road and hit something. They're not going to back up, you know, 150 feet or 100 feet and, and smack a house. I just think that's the strangest thing that they would just tow it away. But because of that, we don't know what gear it was in. It, you're thinking, well, if she if the, she's pulled out of the car in haste, which it seems as though lights are on, stuff like that, that it would still be in reverse. And she's not going to hit the house, and, and or she may put it into maybe drive. Maybe put it in drive. Yeah, but it's just not going to be in park unless
0: you know? somebody did something to her. That rendered her unconscious, and then they were able to just go in and change the uh, gear.
2: Well, there was a time when we thought it was a red herring that, that somebody put the car there. We actually, I had oh. a, I had uh, statements that said, you know, I was told by my boyfriend they put the car there. And she pointed at her boyfriend. I went to talk to this girl. This girl was crying her eyes out. She never thought I'd just show up on her doorstep, and this was years later, you know. Crying her eyes out, her and her father, and she said, that's what he told me. I swear that's what he told me. He ditched the car there, uh, put her somewhere else. Um, so you don't know what to think. Is it a red herring that they just put it there? But if he did, why the why the odd position and backing it in? And we don't, you know, you, you would want to know where the seat position was if he's a big guy and all this stuff. We don't know any of that because they towed the car away.
1: Well, uh, what also doesn't make any sense if if you something happened to her or you did something to her and you're trying to cover it up. You hide the car when nobody's going to find it right away. You don't leave yeah. it right out in the open where somebody's going to say, oh my God, what happened? And start looking for her. You know, that Yeah, doesn't right. make any sense. Because
0: clearly something's wrong. When you look at the car in the back something of the house, yeah, the back of yeah. the car is in the house. There's clearly something uh, wrong. Just,
1: just to comment on what you said about the drunk drivers before, I've seen some pretty strange really? things with drunk drivers that you would never think. Yeah. 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 So I. Got a good one? Uh, uh, Give us a good one. Uh, I saw a woman drove over a retaining wall one day, so her car was hung up half on and half off.
2: Um, Stuff you wouldn't imagine they could even pull off. You, you would say, how could they yeah. do that?
1: Yeah. So I, the fact that a car's backed up, hung up, and somebody said it was a drunk driver, I'd say, okay, I, I'd buy really? that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, they stop, they're drinking, they, they throw it in reverse, and yeah, who knows? But.
2: Of course, she doesn't know. She, she only drove a mile in, up the road or whatever.
1: You're You're up in the middle of Vermont, where there's very little... It's nothing. Crime like that, so your natural assumption is going to be something that happens all the time, which is drunk drivers.
2: Which he saw that he saw the checks and went to the lantern. The lantern yep.
1: was closed. Yep. Yeah.
2: So he may think she's working there. She drank, drank after work during work. Yeah, which is an unknown, unheard of at restaurants.
0: And you're talking about the officer who arrived who towed the car. Yeah. Well, isn't that weird to you when you just said that you think that think it's—, it's odd. You think it's strange that the officer who arrived saw all of these, like, markers of foul play and then towed the car away from a potential crime scene, but then he uses his detective skills and finds the checks and— Well,
1: they're right there on the
0: front seat. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, so wasn't the broken necklace. Does he and the think one... he's
2: going to bust a drunk driver? Like, you
0: like, know? like that's where know. he went? That's where his head went? Uh, uh, opposed to, like— I I think it's it's odd.
2: It is odd. I would think that was crazy, but
0: you never know. I'm not trying to suggest some sort of conspiracy. I'm just saying it's yeah.
1: Northern Vermont. uh, I I think that happens more often than you'd think. Where somebody gets in a car accident, there's no police around. A car comes by, they flag them down, jump in the car, they go home. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Sure. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. Yeah, I don't think it's an unusual occurrence up there. So I think, um, you know, it's too bad that he necessarily jumped to that assumption, but I can understand why he did. And unfortunately, in my mind, she could have been wandering around with a head injury had it been an yeah. accident. Or, you well, know. that was
2: what came up with more with yeah. the cracked windshield is that would be my first concern. If someone's out there with a head injury, she's wandering the roads. And if she did have a head injury, she could have wandered off into the woods. Of course, there's no tracks or anything like that. yep.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff here asks Has the DEA or ATF ever had any involvement considering two known drug dealers were named as possible suspects? I know the FBI played a limited role. Couldn't somebody be pressured into talking? This case might be better served by an authority higher than local slash state police.
2: We had talked about this in the car. So initially, uh, do you remember when, or looking back, do you remember the police actually went to... Vermont State Police went to New Hampshire, and they had a meeting to see if they thought that Morris' case was related to Brianna's. Yep. So they came out publicly and said, what would you call that, just a real statement release? or It wasn't a conference. It or was anything. like
3: a statement, yeah.
2: Yeah, and they came out, and they said, no, we don't believe that these two things are related. And uh, But the FBI was present then. I think they didn't. They didn't say anything. They were just there. They had they had listened and complied, or, or uh, were present when the discussions took place and stuff
1: like that. Well, ATF wouldn't have any jurisdiction. Um, DEA, I mean, even though for up there these guys are sizable dealers in the big picture, of DEA they're not anyone probably that's going to fall under their radar necessarily. So. Uh, and they're not going to get involved in a missing persons case just because of someone who dr- might have a drug angle to it. So, so this right. was my
2: question to Lou yeah. is what's the
1: threshold? for Well, for the FBI? Yeah. Uh, for the FBI to get involved in a case, the, the, first of all, if there's an interstate aspect to it, they have jurisdiction. Um, uh, if it's um, obviously terrorism, they have jurisdiction. If it's a matter of a uh, federal employee, they would have jurisdiction. Um Other than that, they don't have jurisdiction over local crimes. In order for them to get involved in a case, they'd have to be invited in to the case, and they would offer resources to the agencies that that needed them. And in this case, I think once they determined there was no connection, that interstate connection there, um, I see no reason why the FBI would get involved. They, they have they have their own cases to work, you know. So they Plus, are. they're not a magic agency. I mean, they don't yeah. come in and solve a case. I mean, <laughs> uh, snap their fingers. Suddenly <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. uh, uh, everything's okay. Everybody says, "Oh, the FBI should come in and solve it." The, the FBI is a great organization, but you know they.
2: But they would uh, offer specific things that were needed if they,
1: if necessary, if, yeah, a question if, they were, state, yeah, if yeah. they were asked, maybe if they were asked or lab assistance or you know things like that. Um, I've worked with FBI agents before, and a great organization, like I said, but, um, you know, you, they don't come to you and say, hey, can we help you, usually. It's even if that's
2: a, if that person asked the question was from that area, they probably are familiar with the fact that the police presence is so sparse.
1: And that's why that's. yeah. But that's why you have the state police. you know,
3: Right. And just to be clear, what does DEA stand for? Drug, Drug Enforcement, Enforcement Administration. Sorry. Okay, and Sorry. what does no. no. <laughs> ATF stand for?
1: Uh, alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, okay. and Explosives. Actually, it's ATF. Okay.
0: Yeah. I think what confuses some people is what they see on television, and and including maybe even dramatic reenactments of things that have actually happened in the world, like. The ATF was involved with um, the David Koresh thing in Waco, so that was you know, and, and it had
2: to meet a certain threshold. It had to meet it was a certain firearms, threshold. yeah, right. Yeah. right. Yeah.
0: It's firearms, but they, they you, have know, jurisdiction you, you can over see like firearms. the illegal
2: firearms that were there. Well, any firearms? Uh,
1: there's federal laws that govern firearms, so the ATF has jurisdiction. Oh, okay. same as DEA. this narcotics are federally regulated. DEA has jurisdiction, but um, as far as other crimes go, unless there's an interstate aspect, they They don't have homicide. So if
2: Morris case was right there on the border, right, border of Vermont, New Hampshire, if something – No, she was
0: in – It was probably like 20 20 or so miles from the border of Vermont. Is it 20?
2: Okay. But if they realized that she was – something took place to do with that case in Vermont, would
3: that meet the threshold?
1: Well, if she had been kidnapped in Vermont, say, and, and brought to New Hampshire, yeah, that would
3: certainly be, in it, be... But not if she like got gas in Vermont no, and then went back... No, that's not an no, interstate no. connection. Right. No, right.
0: What okay. if like a cell phone, if her cell phone is found in Vermont?
3: That,
1: sure. That, that, could, that be, could, could tie it in, I okay. guess, Okay,
0: yeah. all
3: right. Yeah. Great question. Here's one from Rebecca. She says, I guess I hate hearing it was drug-related. Now, there is a difference with being a drug addict and knowing some people who sell drugs. And so Rebecca's asking, how can a person be on drugs and get a GED, work two jobs? She feels like the speculation about drugs take away from the focus of the case. Just wondering if you guys feel the same way.
1: Well, there's a lot of very high-functioning drug addicts out there. Um, Every drug addict isn't, you know, laying in the gutter somewhere. Um, I do not believe Brianna was a drug addict uh, Brianna may have used drugs experimented with drugs from what her friends say but um, I don't think I don't think that plays a huge role except perhaps it associated with her with people that she shouldn't have associated
2: with It was recreational but she was doing a lot more than we thought she was doing. All the kids up there were and for some kids that's where that split in the road comes where some of them end up with problems really bad problems and
1: some don't it's sad talking to her friends um, now. Some of them, you know, single moms, uh, f- recovered or recovering yeah. addicts, or not. I mean, I talk- struggling
2: babies having babies and yeah. missing out on an education and all that good stuff. Brianna and Brianna too. People don't give her credit for if. She, she was a smart, smart girl. I mean, she read like all the classics, literature, and all this stuff. Um, you know, grew up without a lot of television. She, she just entertained herself, but she was she was a smart girl. Yeah, she was. So she and she was athletic and stuff too. You know, she was she was doing recreational drugs. It just she she could do it, and it, she was a busy girl.
0: Yeah, and it was what was happening around her at the time. So it's not surprising that I mean, you're talking about a 15 year old child. There was people can keep nothing up, else you know? to do. Up nothing there. else
1: to do. Right. Right. There's nothing else to do. There was no jobs. Yeah. To speak of. I mean, she had to drive. Her jobs were what thirty miles apart for, from St. Albans to Montgomery. I mean,
2: yeah, kids were saying if we want to go see a live band, we got to drive you know an hour to see a live band yeah. or know, movies. Even they're, they're going to find something to do.
1: Yeah. The <laughs> other, uh, th- the sad part I think is I I interviewed a young lady and her sister and Brianna were good friends. So her sister, who actually did contribute some information, um, wound up overdosing and dying um, about a year ago. And I just heard two weeks ago that the girl that I had interviewed, her sister, just got arrested, lost her kids, DCFs, all for drugs still. She's in that same age group, you know. So some of them got out of it, and some of them are leading a very good life now, and some of them never made it or haven't made it yet.
0: Yeah, and it's too bad to think that the reason why – Brianna's case might not get as much attention as it deserves is because of the drug stigma that's attached to it
2: Yeah, initially do you remember that it was I'm sure Bruce talked to you about it in the the newspaper articles where the police came out and said she was involved in the drug culture and stuff and there was really nothing to prove that and and it was the whole thing where uh, someone forgot to tell him that professionally if you feel that way that's fine and keep it amongst yourself and your fellow investigators but you don't tell the newspaper that you know, it's not something you tell the newspaper. And they ended up getting a retraction from him and stuff like that. But that forever kind of stuck.
1: Yeah, it's too bad because it, it tends to, I guess, in the mind of the public, almost say, well, it's understandable. No wonder that happened to her or something. It's really irrelevant whether she was on drugs or not on drugs. She's a 17-year-old girl, for God's sakes, who, who got something tragic happened to apparently. So um, her lifestyle may have contributed to it by association but not directly.
0: And Lynn's here has a lot of questions. We'll just go through go through them one at a time. They're great questions. But the first one is, my understanding is that Brianna was not at her jobs long. Was her GED program full-time? Was she working part-time during it? And where were her last two or three residences? The information on this has seemed a bit patchy to me.
1: Okay. She had, it's confusing. She had just started work at yeah. St. Albans at KJ's KJ's Diner. KJ's Diner. Um, in fact, I don't, she may have worked one shift or, or may have yeah. been her first shift the next day. No,
2: it was, it was, I thought it was a little longer than that. Someone had broken into her car there That's on right. two You're occasions, right. but You're it right. wasn't long. Right. And a couple weeks, weeks. And the lantern wasn't what? Two weeks?
1: The, this, she was on her third shift, I think, at the, the third week at the lantern because there That's were two it? paychecks in the car. And this they paid every third, other week or they, something. Uh, I think they paid every week. Oh, okay. But there's a delay. So oh, yeah, those were yeah. her yeah, first the, two the, checks. The, the, yeah. yeah um so she hadn't been working hardly at all she had finished her ged program i don't I, know if it was full or part-time i don't know it was not. full or part-time and as far as her residence goes she had been living with her friend jillian um for a while a few weeks a month maybe uh, prior to that she'd been um at some point um living in her car uh and what they call couch surfing friend to friend to friend she lived with katie for a while she lived with um, boyfriend for a while i
2: had asked bruce about that recently and he goes you know what he goes the, the the places she had stayed shortly before jillian he goes one of them was an ex-boyfriend but it's it's i know it's hard to understand for a listener who wants all the information and stuff like that but there's a point in time when you you start kind of considering that minutia. it's just not no. it wasn't relevant we knew that. We moved on. You can only fit so much info in the vault, so you kind of let that stuff go. So I always have to ask again or look it up. But there was a, a boyfriend she was staying with for a while that was a real good kid, and she said there's nothing there. There was no issue there or anything like that.
3: Okay. And that wasn't the ex-boyfriend James? No. no. Okay. And Lynn's has a question about James. And uh, she says, what time did the ex-boyfriend James really see her car, and did he turn off the lights and close the door um, and what, what did he think her car was doing there? I guess we can't answer that one. James has apparently over the years
1: told a number of different stories and the state police have interviewed him several times. I interviewed him probably summer before last, uh, and first got involved in the case and, um, he told me that he had originally lied to the state police about what time he came by. He had told them he was up in Canada and, and had come across the border, and which didn't make a lot of sense to me because I think back then even they were keeping track of who came across the border and when they came across the border. But um, but anyways, maybe not. I mean, um, you know, it's a small border crossing, so and some of them close at midnight. So, um, But anyways, he said he came back. Um, and he originally told the state police he went by at 2.30, saw a car, wasn't sure it was hers, just kept going. He told me that that was a lie. Um, he had been at another individual's house um, doing crack. Um, and he was coming by at 4.30 in the morning, saw her car, the lights were on, doors open. He stopped, shut off the lights, shut the doors, and went home. So... um I assume that's the true story. I don't know why he would lie about it to me at this point, but, um, you know, so he's given several versions and he's, I believe told the state police this, also that story also after the fact.
3: Okay. And so just those two stories?
1: I I don't know if there's more or not. I was told that he's said a lot of different things, but, um, you know, he, to me, he came across as being sincere. I don't, I don't think he was being deceptive at all.
3: Okay. That's good to know. And. I guess you can see why the first story might come out of his mouth, right? If he's sure. doing something illegal, especially close in
1: time.
2: Not only that,
3: but he
1: touched the vehicle,
3: right? And it's easily proven, like as you said, that it wasn't true that he came, that he was in Canada and came you back. You would think, right? yeah. So yeah. they probably, they might have had that info. You think him if and...
2: you were going to give a lie for your alibi, that you wouldn't, uh, you know, say I was in a casino or at a border crossing. <laughs> He's well, bound to be cameras there.
1: Yeah. Why even lie? Why just say, I didn't see the, I mean, why tell the truth at all? Why didn't, if you're going to lie about it, say, I didn't see the car? Yeah. No. Yeah. I- <laughs> right. right. I-, I was home all night. I mean, I. How old is he? He's- same age, uh, roughly 30s now. Oh, so he was about uh, like 17, 18, 18, 19, something like
2: that. Yeah. Yeah, that goes back to the car thing, too. And he, he said that he closed the doors. And he, he, there's pictures that I hadn't seen before that I saw when I did the show disappeared. They had pictures the police had given him. And it showed the window up and the door shut. Because I had always thought someone was throttling her or something. And she was gunning the engine to get away from him. It, it's a thought. If that was the case. Um, it would make sense that her necklace had broken off. Somebody's reaching in the car, trying to extract her from the car. And you think it's done in haste again because the lights are on and, and it, 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 there was rumor that a blinker was on or something. So he took her out of the car quick. But those doors, I had a car like that actually years ago. I had a cutlass. And those big old doors go out. If somebody was doing that and the door was open, it'd mow them down. It'd take him under the door. Yeah. So that kind of blows that idea. But he says that he shut both doors, right?
1: I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. But you know it's possible she tried to get out. They were at the door she slid over the other side, opened the door, they went yeah. around, you know, so you can see. it can off and Took off and ran. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I think more importantly when you're talking about the car and of course we all want to know what happened at that point point, at that moment um you go through the different scenarios and you can determine by the scenario and there's only so many that there has to be a way to get out of there. So there has to be a car. Um, you can determine which ones need more than one person to do it, you know. And the, the, the like, the theories that someone ran her off the road. Cars don't argue with each other without making dents and stuff like that. You know what I mean? You're not going to push someone off the road without probably having some kind of damage. And she didn't. The damage she had was old.
1: So and she don't force someone off the road and then have them back into a house. Yeah,
2: and then and then they run away. They would stay in the car and. and try to get away yeah so you can you can go through that way and discount some of those